0: everyone, welcome to a special edition of the Going in Circles podcast. Today we're joined by Daniel Wallach of Wallach Legal, one of the preeminent sports wagering attorneys in the United States. Uh, he's here to help explain the compact that's been proposed between the state of Florida and the Seminole Tribe, which will change the face of gambling in Florida, which is one of the, the biggest states in the union, and particular how damaging this is going to be to the horse racing industry, uh, which has been thriving in, in Florida to be frank. It's been a, a, a really strong industry. And, um, apparently that's not, uh, that doesn't matter that much anymore because, um, as Daniel was going to explain, uh, there's going to be a, a dramatic shift, uh, towards the Seminoles and away from everyone else. um, Give a listen. It, it's uh, it's a little long, but there's a lot of interesting information, and uh, you'll probably come away scratching your head as to how something potentially screwed up as this possibly could be is being proposed. All right, we'll be back in just one minute with Daniel Wallach. Hey, Daniel. This is Charles. Yes, sir. I, I'm so
1: sorry about the delay about this. No, um,
0: no, you're good, Daniel. You're good. I know. I know you're overseas, so uh, I'm just happy that we can get you.
1: Yeah, no, I'm. I'm happy to do this because I do want to get the, the word out as well. I think the um, the sort of the the perception of this deal is, um, you know, not what the reality is.
0: Yeah, and that that's something that uh, you know we wanted to get out. And and you know, with us is Daniel Wallach, and he's a a gaming law and uh, we started. We started. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we're, we're right on. We're right on, man. Um, okay. Um, I started following Daniel on Twitter a few years back when uh, Dennis Drazen and Monmouth Park were, uh, you know, suing the i guess i guess uh a various group of states and the federal government uh to, to try to get sports betting legalized then which of course seemingly against all odds happened um and then since then there's been like uh just uh you know countrywide there, there's been uh you know some some states got got going quick some states got going slow and and then we have you know florida which seems like um uh, it seems like florida politics have their own uh, you know life of their own and um you know we're we're dealing with a lot and this is primarily a horse racing podcast so the effect that the compact and the other legislation that's supposed to be taken up uh on the special session in Tallahassee on the 17th is um well, I mean, from to be completely blunt, doesn't look good for horse racing, and um, you know we're, we're kind of concerned because obviously all gaming is, is interrelated. That you know these days.
1: Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know th- that's certainly true, and the you know racing industry and all the paramutuals have had the double whammy of of, of really having declining uh, you know revenues and handle as a result of you know, the pandemic and, and, you know, handle is down, attended obviously live attendance. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're getting, they're further and further back competitively. And I think this compact, which on the surface might seem to give the pari you know, some role in sports betting actually places them further back in the queue. Well, at the same time, you know, eliminating really thousands of, I don't know how many thousands, but you're eliminating the entire standard bread racing industry, the quarter horse, racing industry to what extent that exists i don't know high lie and it will place the thoroughbreds at a competitive disadvantage to those other venues that now don't have to operate live horse racing so it creates a lot of havoc all in the name of you know restoring or or receiving these you know enormous economic benefits from one stakeholder namely the Seminole tribe but it's going to be uh paralyzing to an industry and i i've called this online as the equivalent of a trojan horse because the the compact allows betting to take place off the reservation, off tribal lands, and when that ends up in federal court, uh, a judge is going to blue pencil that. If the if the Department of the Interior doesn't reject that part of it, uh, a, a court will will extract that out of the agreement, which means that because of the severability language in the compact, the agreement is still enforceable at least with respect to the parts that are not declared invalid. So when the dust settles. A brick and mortar monopoly, there'll be no sports betting, and the paramutrals are going to be Sol. That means like nothing, not even a rev share, not even a, a, as a booking agent for the tribe. They won't be able to they won't be permitted to book any bets at their racetracks, high life frontins or you know, former dog tracks. This is a Trojan horse that's dressed up to create the appearance of inclusivity. and in reality, it will end up uh, being a catastrophe, which confers a monopoly enshrined under state law, and it will it will end or at least uh, eliminate any hope of the paramutuals participating through these compacts because the compacts do not allow gaming off of Indian land. So, I, I think I think uh, I think the word needs to get out that this is you know far, not only far from a done deal, but it is legally suspect and based on every federal court decision that has addressed this very issue. You can't do mobile betting through a compact. All of it, all of the activity, not just the server, but the location of the better has to be on Indian lands. To the extent that the compact allows anything off Indian lands, it will be rejected by a federal court.
0: Right. So essentially they were trying to create a loophole by saying that a mobile bet is considered on Indian land if it goes through a server that's located. Yeah. on the, on the reservation, but you're saying that all of of the court cases that have have preceded this have declared that that is not uh, not not legal.
1: That's right. and you might be asking for those like people in the audience you mentioned Dennis Drazen. Well, you know Dennis is a, a stakeholder in New Jersey, and the New Jersey Constitution has sort of limits on where casino gambling can take place. It can only take place in Atlantic City. And you would think, well, well, how do you square that with the fact that uh, you can bet on you can you have iGaming throughout the state? And I'm not talking about sports betting. I'm talking right. about online casino games. Sure. How do you how do you accomplish that when the state constitution says all casino gambling has to take place uh, in Atlantic City? You do that because it's state law, and under state law, a wager, a bet, is viewed as a contract, and the bet placed by the by the customer is an offer. And the receipt and acceptance of the bet is where the contract is deemed to be made. That's state law contract theory and those principles work under state law and they work under state constitutions. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. New Jersey has had iGaming despite the constitutional restriction going on eight years already. It's never been challenged and it can't, it can't be challenged because under New Jersey law and under New York law and every other state that recognizes a wagering transaction as a contract, you can make the server location the uh, you know the place where the contract is Federal law doesn't work that way. Under federal law, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, the, the two critical phrases are that the gaming activities, have to take place solely on Indian land. So those are two integrated or two related concepts that the Indian lands are defined under the statute very clearly as meaning the reservation and any trust property, which is land held in trust by the US government for the benefit of the tribes. And for those of you who are familiar with the Seminole tribe's Coconut Creek property or Coconut Creek Casino, that's not tribal land like, like a reservation, that's after acquired trust property that the tribe uh, uh, placed into trust with the US government for the purpose of operating gaming. So the, the, the Indian gaming law restricts gaming to Indian lands, but it's not just the gaming or parts of the gaming, it's all of the gaming activity. The words in the statute are gaming activities, the activities. And the US Supreme Court has this on point analysis in the Bay Mills case from 2014, where Justice Kagan said that when you when you look at the meaning of gaming activities the focus is on the actions and the perspective of the gambler the roll of the dice the spin of the roulette wheel not on the off-site administrative equipment so just substitute the word server in there and what she's trying to say is in determining where the bet takes place you look at where the gambler is located not where the server is located and that's a that's a U.S. Supreme Court decision that analyzes uh, what the phrase gaming activities mean under Igra. And wherever you see gaming on Indian lands, you see gaming activities. Sort of in tandem with that expression, they are they are joined together. And and as a result, you know the cases, all the federal cases say that the that that address the issue of remote off reservation gaming have rejected any notion that there can be internet based sports wagering or wagering over the telephone from outside of tribal lands, all of the activity related to the betting, the gambling itself, has to take place on tribal lands. Otherwise, it runs afoul of IGRA. Uh, There's a U.S. Court of Appeals decision from the Ninth Circuit, uh, Ipai Nation versus the state of California, which is directly on point. Uh, there are some late 1990s and early 2000 decisions. There are federal interpretations from the National Indian Gaming Commission. And of course, in every instance where the US, the United States government was a party to any attempted case where the tribes have sought internet gambling through a compact, the United States government through the Department of Justice has consistently and unwaveringly taken the position that the location of the server is irrelevant under IGRA for, for purposes of determining where the bet takes place. And the U.S. government has resisted and argued uh, vociferously against any any notion that you can do internet gambling through a compact. And case after case, the government has taken uh, the National Indian Gaming Commission, which is the regulator overseeing you know Indian gaming, has taken that position. And of course, the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals two years ago, in, in one of the leading decisions on, on, on this issue, uh, rejected uh, internet gaming through, you know, you know, you know, conducted by tribes off of Indian lands. So it all lines up. And then the sort of the nail in the coffin is Justice Kagan's analysis in Bay Mills, where the focus, or where her words, her words say not only that the focus of the gambling activities is from the perspective of the better, not the equipment. She said also in that same opinion that gambling can take place only on Indian lands and nowhere else. You can't get any clearer than that. So what's the upshot of all this? Uh, Is the government, state legislature, they're going through the motions? Are they going to waste their time? Well, it's possible that this gets ratified by the state legislature. It's also possible that the Department of the Interior, which is now headed by a Native American, will um, be sensitive towards tribal issues and and approve a compact that includes mobile betting, but where the rubber meets the road, where it's all going to unravel is in federal court later this summer when a competitor, could be a paramutual facility, it could be a local government, it could be Broward County, it could be the city of Miramar whose municipal services are being taxed by the expanded gambling which is illegal under federal law, they have standing to challenge uh, the approval of the compact. There's a leading case uh, out of the DC Circuit, which recognizes the standing of, of local governments. And there are other cases that recognize competitor standing. So it could be any of the paramutuals or any of the would- be stakeholders in the state of Florida. It might also be any of the colleges and universities that want to you know protect and ensure that there isn't expanded gambling on their college's games. So the challenges can come from a variety of different stakeholders. And if a federal judge overseeing this case is presented with a motion for a preliminary uh, injunction or a motion for a temporary restraining order, following he's duty bound to follow United States Court United States Supreme Court precedent and will declare those portions of the compact that allow for off-reservation gaming to be invalid. And when those are declared invalid, that's when the severability clause of the compact will kick in. And under the severability clause negotiated by the state and by the tribes, if a federal court, I mean, they flagged this issue in the compact. If a federal court were to declare that the bets taken or initiated off tribal land are are not properly part of the compact, well, those parts are extracted and the parts that remain valid uh, remain intact, which means that when the dust settles, the tribe will have a brick-and-mortar monopoly over sports betting in Florida. There will be no mobile betting, and there will be zero participation by the, you know, licensed pari-mutual uh, former dog tracks, uh, uh, thoroughbred, and standardbred facilities. None of them will be able to offer on-site sports betting through a tribal compact when the federal court is done with this. And- That's a mouthful. I know. I I, I didn't even even take (laughs) a breath there. I mean, that's that uh, that was like Will Ferrell in old school, but it all applies. that
0: was was impressive. I had like four questions and and you answered them without (laughs) even uh, having to ask them. Um, uh, In the case that this is struck down, if the compact is signed and is struck down, the the tribe is supposed to be giving five hundred million dollars a year to the state. Correct. That's right. A guarantee. It's a a minimum guarantee. It's not a a cap. if that gets struck down, is there language that would preclude them from having to pay the $500 million?
1: Uh, not, not, it's not an all or nothing deal. If, uh, if mobile sports betting and uh, uh, racetrack specific sports betting are blue penciled out by the federal court, yeah, the revenues uh, are going to the revenue obligation goes down correspondingly. So there's language in the compact, which makes the tribe's obligation to the state uh, reduced uh, relative to the the diminution of gambling stricken by the federal court. I I forget what the formula is, but uh, the obligations definitely decrease uh, because there will be less revenues to the tribes if and when, and I'm not talking if, but I'm talking when a federal court strikes those aspects Those off-reservation aspects from the compact. And there's always a chance that a federal court will not enforce the severability language because when you think about what the benefit of the bargain was, uh, this was packaged as an integrated deal uh, to have inclusivity for all stakeholders. And if you Mm -hmm. blue pencil out the paramutual facilities and everyone else and leave only in place, uh, on-reservation uh, sports betting through tribal-owned sports books. Well, that wasn't the deal that the state really struck, but the state agreed to this severability clause. And when I say the state, I mean Governor DeSantis and his negotiators allowed this language to remain in the compact where they anticipated that there was a possibility that a court would whack this down and sort of you know, you know, know, reduce it so that only the on-Indian land portion survives. And and th- this is where the paramutuals are going to get popped, because if that part is enforceable, then what are you left with? You're left with nothing for the paramutuals and their competitors, which are the Seminole tribe, will be so as far ahead as they already are. Uh, you know, given their sort of Class Three footprint in the state of Florida, they'll be that much further ahead of the paramutuals if they're able to have exclusivity and monopoly over sports betting. You, th- you know, because it's gonna it's gonna drive all that visitation to the tribal casinos and away from the paramutual facilities. So if you were already a customer of uh, you know, or or uh, Tampa Bay Downs. Uh, If you want to make a sports bet, well, you're going to become a customer of the Seminole tribe of Florida, the Hard Rock, and you're going to be diverted away from those facilities. So not only will they be stuck with nothing, but they'll lose business to the tribe. So it's almost like a double whammy. And this is almost preordained to happen because I don't believe that the governor's negotiators really understand the ramifications of some of these legal decisions uh, arising on the you know, internet gaming IGRA context. You know, in, in the cases that have addressed the uh, issue of internet gaming under a compact, it's been rejected time and again. There's not a single case where a federal court has analyzed this issue and come out the other way. None, none, no analysis that I'm aware of. And if there's a case, There certainly wasn't any analysis. It was probably accidental or or on consent of the parties. Find a a single case that says you can compact for mobile sports betting or mobile gambling uh, over the Internet where your customers are located outside outside of tribal lands, placing the bet uh, from outside of tribal lands. There isn't a single case that has analyzed that issue and said that that's kosher under IGRA, to mix my metaphors. Not a single case. And based upon existing legal precedent, not only is there a high likelihood that this aspect of the compact will be stricken, it's almost it's virtually guaranteed because you can't reinterpret, you can't rewrite, you can't alter plain and and, and unambiguous contract language. The meaning of tribal lands is set out in the statute. It means the reservation or trust property. And gaming activity, there's nothing ambiguous about that. Activity is the activity, which is the rolling of the dice, the actions of the gambler. And the United States Supreme Court's analysis on that point is binding on every lower federal court. This has like no chance. Of surviving federal court scrutiny, it might it might pass through the Department of the Interior, it might pass the legislature, but they're going to have egg on their face. Right. Maybe I will, but I doubt it. But in to, in a year or, or less, when a federal court rules on this issue, it, it it's it's extraordinarily, extremely likely that the compact will be stricken in whole or in part.
0: You know, the interesting dynamic uh, politically is that. The state of Florida is flush with money. And from, you know, the, the word prior to the legislature meeting was that the governor was in a, a position of strength in that he didn't have to just sign any deal because the state financially is is doing well. Um, and with some of these other places like New York um, providing you know, templates of sorts. I mean, I, I know every state is different, and they they all have their own issues, uh, and they all want you know different state laws and, and such. Um, but it just seems like once this deal was announced, that uh, the general consensus among people that that follow uh, this, you know, the, the sports betting uh, nationally was that this was not a good deal for the state. That they, this was wildly undersold, which seemed odd considering. You know what the governor had been, you know, his people had been kind of saying, hey, you know, we got the leverage here and we're not just going to sign. We don't really need their money. And unless we get a great deal, we're not going to sign it. And it sounds like this is like the worst possible deal they could have possibly signed.
1: Well, it's a bad deal as well as being in violation of federal law. So you have like those two aspects. Let me explain why it's a bad deal. You're giving the tribes and, and all the power in the world to them I mean anything they want to do on tribal land they could have a gazillion casinos they could have sports books they could have roulette they could have craps all of that is perfectly permissible on, on under the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act as long as it's under as long as it's on tribal land and it's something that the state permits right. Under state law, if it's permitted under state law, then they have a good faith obligation to negotiate a compact providing for that. But but the limitation here is that it has to be on tribal land. You can't expand the definition of tribal land to include the whole universe because under the thinking, uh, under the, the concept that this server is sort of like the holy grail that the server is where everything takes place. You know, extending that to an absurd you know, situation, you know, a, a, a bet placed from a, a customer in Malaysia would be deemed being placed on the you know, Seminole hard rock right. casino in, in Hollywood simply because a server is there. So, you know, the entire world under that analogy becomes Indian land. And, and that is utterly absurd given that Congress carefully uh, defined the meaning of Indian land to mean you know, not the moon, not Mars, not the sky, not, you know, sort of, you know, the air above the ground, but actually the, you know, the four corners of the tribal reservation and after acquired, you know, trust property, very specific. And when you talk about what the meaning of gaming activity is, a server is not gaming activity. That's just sort of offsite equipment. It's associated equipment for purposes of processing the administrative aspects of the gambling transaction. The bet those are the actions of the gamblers. It's sure. it's it's the perspective of the gambler. It's the gambling itself, rather than you know sort of the computer equipment that's located you know wherever wherever they want to place it. You can't do that under federal law. State law has a little bit more flexibility, and that's where you know state legislatures can make that determination. Under Igra, it would require an act of Congress to uh, update revise, or modify the meaning of Indian land to include off-site gaming through computer servers. Uh, a, a, a federal agency nor a federal court can rewrite alter. That language because to do so would violate the separation of powers doctrine. And that that's the job for Congress to change the law if the law has become antiquated by virtue of the proliferation of online gambling. I mean, that's a simple, that's a simple and easy tweak by Congress. Just update the law, change the meaning of Indian lands, and voila, you know, then maybe you could compact for off-reservation gambling through that you know, precept. But without an act of Congress, what you're essentially doing here is overriding and nullifying uh, the plain language of IGRA and thwarting the intent of Congress, which was to confine gambling to Indian lands and nowhere
0: else. Now, the way this was set up, uh, uh, all right, you, your, your argument is very, very persuasive. Um,
1: Considering, how ver, uh, the, uh, judge, uh, motion for directed verdict,
0: <laughs> I would be a terrible judge, but okay. um, um, what it uh, now the, the the process that the government or the state has put in is allowing the paramutuals, uh, and other stakeholders to act as agents of sort of for the, the seminoles, in that everything has to be done through them, so just. Setting aside your your argument, if this thing was to actually be, um, you know, put into effect, uh, Gulfstream Park, for instance, could have sports betting, but it would have to be run through the Seminole Tribe.
1: Well, not uh, not run through, I, I, acting as an agent of the Seminole Tribe, the bets would be placed at the Parimutuel facility. So, if you're talking about, you know, Gulfstream or Magic City or Tampa Bay Downs, name a name a Parimutuel facility, the customer. Would have to drive to the you know the racetrack window, and then a sort of a, the, at the ticket window, the bet would be uh, transmitted by computer or electronically uh, across you know the county uh, to the through, some, you know, through through you know, to the server you know to the magic you know,
0: server right
1: miles away miles away you know the bet is placed at the racetrack, but through you know some uh, language in the compact that's deemed to be made. on tribal land, because that's where the the teller, you know, pushes a button and the bet gets, you know, transmitted through the, you know, either sphere or or internet uh, to arrive at some other location. Well, that's kind of a, (laughs) that kind of defies sort of the, you know, common sense view of where a bet takes place. And I know that's how New York and New Jersey do it. New Jersey runs their iGaming that way, but, you know, a, a, a wager is a contract and under state law, the legislature can make a policy determination that we're going to decide that where this bet, this contract is legally consummated is at the location where the offer is accepted. That's state contract law. Federal courts have rejected the importation of state law contract principles to determine where bet takes place under IGRA. There's case law on that. Uh, and there's no case that holds the other way. Again, this is not, you know, Daniel, you know, uh, you know, placing his thumb on the scale and saying, I like these cases better than those cases. These are all the cases, every case.
0: Right, right. The overwhelming evidence.
1: U.S. Court of Appeals. Uh, So it really defies uh, economic reality. It defies non-economic reality to somehow say that the bet, you know, at Gulfstream in, in, in Hallandale Beach, Florida, is deemed made in Hollywood because there's some antenna in the ground uh, that, you know, receives the bet through the airwaves. I mean, that's just nonsensical.
0: Now, what about the other uh, kind of sticky issue in Florida where there was an amendment passed that gives the f- citizens the Florida right, uh, the, you know, the rights of the Florida citizens to, to approve uh, any expansion of gambling? That seems to have not been part of this deal. Well, no, that,
1: that's gotten more attention then the federal issue the federal issue is so like arcane because you know most gaming attorneys that represent you know paramutuals and non tribal organizations they don't know enough about the Indian gaming regulatory sure. act it, right. it, it's sort of one of these you know laws that you don't read about in you know sort of you know the newspapers it's you know, there there's a small segment of lawyers who truly understand this i happen to be one of them but uh, amendment 3 is a different issue is gung ho about the fact that i think this violates florida uh, federal law because it's off indian lands I'm equally, equally uh, um, uh, sure that it does not violate the state constitution. So I'm not like, you know, just focused on the outcome right. and the outcome I want to see. I'm analyzing the law and for the, you know, it violates federal law because it's off Indian lands, but it does not violate the state constitution and here's why. You mentioned that it places the issue of gambling expansion and voter control. No, it's narrower than that. What the voters approved on November 6, 2018 was placing casino gambling, not all gambling,
0: mm, but right.
1: casino gambling authorization under voter control. And under the constitutional amendment, the term casino gambling was defined very specifically and very narrowly to mean, okay, two 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 components to it. It has to be a class three game under IGRA. And sports betting is no doubt it's a class three game. But the other part of the test is it has to be the type of game That's typically found in a casino as of the date of the constitutional amendment. That's language right out of the Florida constitution. And as of that date, three years ago, there were more than 40 states. There were about 40 States that had casinos authorized under state law. And in only six of those States at that time, uh, could you find a sports book in a casino? And those states were Pennsylvania, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, maybe Iowa. I forget what the sixth one is. I don't have the list in front of me. Right. But with the raci-
0: Colorado.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Colorado didn't come online yet until 2019 maybe. So if you look at the uh, uh, you know, sort of the number of uh, sports books in casinos on a state-by-state basis, you had six states. But there were 40 states that had commercial casinos. And looking at it from a tribal perspective, you had over 500 tribal casinos at that time. And only one tribal casino out of 500. No, I think two or three of them, actually. Two or three out of 500 had a sports book within the, within the tribal casino. Does that sound like it's typical to you? It's no. more like atypical. And, and and then if you want to get into the weeds, I mean, this is an audience that is probably like really wired into this. So I'll, I'll try to give you a little bit more of my reasoning. Uh, It provides examples of what constitutes casino gambling, Uh, 12 lines worth of examples. They mention every category of class three gambling except for one, and that's sports betting. Sports betting was omitted uh, from Amendment 3, and uh, at the same time that Amendment three was proposed, a Florida lawmaker, I think Pepe Diaz, uh, if, I, I forget his first name, but he's known as Pepe Diaz out of Miami, drafted a an almost identical statutory provision that would be passed by the legislature which would place the issue of casino gambling and voter control. It was a mirror image of the citizen initiative, which got passed uh, by the voters. But the legislative initiative uh, didn't clear the state legislature. It died in in committee. But under his definition of casino gambling, he included sports betting. Uh, So you really have sort of a comparison side by side of two – nearly identical versions of the same thing. One includes sports betting, the other excludes it. And then, of course, if you look at the underlying character of the activity, uh, sports betting is a lot like horse racing. It's a, it's a, it, it's a pre, it, it involves a predominance of skill to be successful at it. Whereas casino games are you know predominantly games of chance or luck that turn on the roll of the dice, the flip of the car, the spin of the wheel. Uh, there might be some skill involved, but it is not a predominant amount of skill. Horse racing, dog racing, and sports betting are all uh, skill predominated uh, events as determined by state attorney generals and by courts all across the country. And under the under amendment three, uh, horse race betting, Dog race betting and betting on highlight are excluded from the definition of casino gambling. Well, sports betting bears more similarity to those types of betting, which are all skill-based, than it does to the games of pure chance that are defined or listed under the definition of casino gambling, which include house bank card games and slot machine gambling, all of which are tied to an uncontrollable or, or, or you know pure random event. So the addition wait, wait, there's, more, there's more there's more sports <laughs> betting sports betting is also tied it, it you know unlike casino games which are determined played and determined entirely within the four walls of casino mm-hmm. sports betting is tethered to events that take place entirely outside of a casino's four walls and the outcomes are determined outside of the casino so if you look you know if if you if you make a checklist of all the areas and all the um, ways in which sports betting and, and, and casino gambling differ, I think it's a slam dunk and of course, every time there's been the, some governmental issued study, whether it's under by Congress or by Florida, uh, to analyze or, or look at the gaming industry statewide or nationwide, all of those studies have invariably treated casino gambling and sports betting and separate species of gambling. It's, it, it, is, it is not even remotely possible to find that casino gambling, as defined in the Florida Constitution, includes sports betting. So I guess we're one out of two here. This compact may satisfy the state constitution, but it flunks the federal test.
0: Right, right. Now, the, the compact seems to, to add uh, uh, allow the Seminoles to add three more casinos a, at their Broward uh, location. And so that that's not part of the that wouldn't be part of the constitutional because it's it's on the, the Indian.
1: That's right. That, that's right. The, 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 right. Amendment, the, the constitutional amendment known as Amendment three. I think it's actually now housed in Article 30, Section 12 of the Florida Constitution. But just for you know our definition mm-hmm. purposes, let's just call it Amendment three. It has sure. an exception for gaming on tribal lands conducted through a through a compact. So whatever the tribe compacts for on Indian land. That's outside of the scope of Amendment 3. So you can build – I don't know where you're going to place three new casinos. I've been to the Hard Rock facility. Uh, I don't know where they're going to place them, but I guess they, I, I guess that their reservation is large enough where they can build it out. Uh, as long as that remains on tribal land, uh, you can put as many casinos as you want out there and dramatically expand casino gambling on tribal land without violating – the state constitutional provision, which gives voters control over casino gambling, they just don't have control over it on Indian land, only on non-tribal land.
0: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking the same thing, but obviously, that supposedly they've, they've made, um, you know, inquiries to a couple of the big casino companies to try to create like a mini strip of sorts. So, um, well, it,
1: you know, which actually raises the point. I mean, if you're if you're a city of Hollywood, if you're a city of Miramar or you're Broward County. You're thinking to yourself, "Wait a second! Uh, isn't all uh, if you, there's one casino in Broward? It, it is a Coconut Creek facility, a little further up north in Broward. But the Hollywood Hard Rock houses one uh, casino property. You're going to quadruple uh, the casino gambling footprint on that plot of land without uh, adversely affecting the municipal you know services that are provided by Hollywood <laughs> and Broward County, and you're going to add traffic." <laughs> In yeah. the nearby municipalities? I mean, that's, that's like, would, you
0: know, go ahead. I would guess that they would just write a check because, they're, they're, I mean, it seems like they're, they're basically, they're going to wind up with a monopoly on everything because it, it sounds like they're going to wind up wiping out all the other casinos anyways um, who aren't going to be able to compete. And if you add bricks and mortar sports betting, well, that's the only way you can bet they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to benefit massively while while everyone else doesn't have it so it's yeah. it's uh
1: but it's not the sports book that would be concerning to the local or adjoining cities it's building three new casinos yeah, in the right in part of the land and, and you're and you're right the tribe do have does have um what, what what's referred to as mitigation agreements with the no. city of hollywood uh oh god i think one other municipality the city the town or city of davie Sure. Uh, Under which the tribe make payments for all the municipal services that are necessarily, you know, provided uh, to, to the Seminole tribes hard rock facility by these cities that the, the tribe don't have their own electrical, you know, you know, it, you know, their own electrical system. They need city fire services, water, electricity, police, you know, right. they have their own right. police
0: force, but, but, we're, but all, with their, the tribe, all the infrastructure. Basically. Yeah,
1: but the tribe doesn't have a deal like that. At least I'm not sure if they have a deal like that with Broward County or Miramar, or town of Southwest Ranches, and if I'm one of these cities, I'm thinking, you know what, um, this is really going to cause all this traffic congestion and all these other, uh, you, you, know, you know, lifestyle and, 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 you know, adverse impacts on the neighboring municipalities, and the federal courts have allowed local governments to challenge the approvals of class 3 gaming compacts on the basis that um, it, it will adversely impact the cities by requiring mitigation efforts to um, you know address all these additional services that are necessitated uh, by expanded gambling and that's not hypothetical that's real I mean you could be driving you be you could be driving thousands tens of thousands of you know you know cars you know new you know, cars daily. To, these, to this facility you know, if you're going to have four casinos and sports books all over the place. So that could be one area or one potential grievance that might take a look at this deal and say, well, we don't like it. Yeah, I'm sure they'd like to get paid, but I'm not sure the tribe are going to cut checks for every municipality within, you know, 10 or 15 miles. I mean, there are limits, but if they have to, I suppose they will. I think the real challenge might come from, you know, competitors, you know, but, some of the pari-mutual facilities yeah. because uh, they're getting the short end of the stick here. They're, they're, at least on the surface, allowed to participate, but not without kicking up 40% of the revenues to the Seminole Tribe. They're not going to be able to compete and find uh, mobile sports betting partners that are going to create or, or provide incentives and, and promotions that are going to match what the Tribe's own mobile sports book could provide. The Tribe, it, it's a one-way street. The Tribe keep all their revenues from tribal-operated sports betting, whereas the paramutuals have to kick over 40% of every dollar of revenue, and it makes the uh, profitability of a paramutual sportsbook, uh, you know, pale in comparison to what the tribes are going to be able to offer, and that's going to co- that's going to create. Uh, a non-competitive marketplace where not only do the tribes uh, uh, are, are able to have a more profitable sports book, but they're going to be uh, they're going to be able to market more effectively uh, to it located throughout the state.
0: Right. Right. Because
1: They're, they're, they're going to be able to offer them stuff that the paramutual. Operated sports books won't be able to because they're operating from a deficit of 40%. Before every dollar, they only get to keep 60 cents. Whereas the tribe keep every dollar of the revenue, windfall, free money, 40 cents out of every dollar that the Paramutuals make. Who do you think is going to offer better promotions, better deposit bonuses, better incentives? They're gonna they're gonna clean house, kick ass, and take names. And if the paramutuals think that one, this deal will survive federal scrutiny, well, it won't. And two, if they're gonna be able to draw significant visitation to their facilities, I think it's gonna be nominal at best because most of the activity, most of the action would be over mobile devices anyway, and that's gonna be controlled by the Seminoles.
0: Yep. It's a bad <laughs> um there's there's up, um at the special session in Florida regarding gambling. And one is um, uh, form it, the formation of, of a Florida gaming commission. And and it's always been kind of um, uh, eye rolling in, in horse racing circles that the racing commission here doesn't exist. We, we've been regulated by... A division of the Department of Business Regulation, the you know the Department of Paramutuals. and you know that that's one of thirty-eight divisions of the Department of Business Regulation, and they're they're not.
1: It's still like you know. They're not very effective,
0: Daniel. I mean, they're they're,
1: forget the title. It's it's a horse racing regulator. You know, by any other name. You know, the uh, division of paramutual wagering. It, it doesn't matter what umbrella they're under, but I, 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 it's, it's a gaming regulator. It just doesn't, it's not a casino regulator, it's a horse racing regulator. And we could argue, not argue, I wouldn't argue with you, but we can debate how effective that agency is. But I think instead of creating a new commission, why don't you just expand the existing powers of the division of paramutual wagering, take it out of the umbrella of the Department of Business and Professional Regulation and make it a real bona fide you know, statewide gaming regulator over all types of gambling?
0: I don't it, think it, it did to agencies. It didn't seem to. Right. It seemed like it was an odd fit because, well, number one, uh, the, most of the paramutuals are going to be wiped out by this. That's for the right. most part and number two i mean why create another layer when you already have the framework but i i don't know who knows i mean i'm sure there's a reason that uh, a political reason for it but
1: yeah there is and 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 for the to to, to the credit of the division of power Mutual wagering there there's like stuck in all these other you know battles where you have like the racetracks trying to relocate their slot machine gaming area and you have permit holders trying to you know change their permits to summer highlight I oh, mean they' yeah. they' they're, they're dealing with a host of administrative like lawsuits uh, where where you know some of the state's gaming stakeholders are trying to exploit state law so a significant amount of the division of power mutuals resources are being allocated to these administrative lawsuits because, you know, the, the Florida the Florida paramutual statute is like a Frankenstein monster, which is, you know, includes so many special interest provisions uh, that often are exploited by the stakeholders. I mean, legally exploited the statute. And, you know, there's a lot of envelope pushing uh, where, where I think that that sort of um, uh, takes a lot of the resources of the division and, and you know, allocates it or reallocates it to litigation, so right. if you could, if you could create a uh, you know sort of a better structure, uh, I don't see any reason why the existing regulators who already oversee and regulate skill-based gaming in the form of horse race betting, uh, betting on power, uh, bet betting on, on high lie events, they uh, they they oversee and regulate skill-based gaming, and if the race tracks. Are going to have sports books. Well, shouldn't the agency that regulates the racetracks also be the same agency that regulates the sports books and the racetracks? Uh, the problem here is that this is a fiction that this even is paramutual uh, based sports wagering. It's all tribal wagering and the the paramutual facilities are no more than booking agents. That's all they are. That's all they are, and they are going to get the short end of the stick here. When you look at how New Jersey operates and Pennsylvania, 90% of the wagers or more occur or are placed on mobile devices. The in-person aspect of sports betting has actually been diminished significantly as time goes on. And, yeah, I think there are, there are certainly events where you want to go and watch the game uh, surrounded by others in a sports bar-type environment, Uh, But the demographic that favors sports betting, the sort of the millennials and and younger generation, they're doing all this on their mobile devices. They're not going to casinos or or horse racetracks in New Jersey. They're placing their bets directly from their phones and their computers. And anybody who thinks that the the grandstand at Gulfstream is going to be filled to capacity because there's a sportsbook there uh, is is operating in dreamland, uh, both legally and practically given, you know, one, the, the you know, the IGRA uh, limitations to gambling on Indian land, which is going to strike out everything for the paramutuals. But even for that, even if that were to survive, most of the bets are going to be placed on mobile devices. And the walk-up business to the paramutuals is going to be fairly de minimis.
0: Yeah, we, we've seen that in horse racing wagering where, I mean, last year during the COVID situation, 100% of bets were made off track. Uh, via, you know, computer or, or you know, mm-hmm. on your phone mobile. And that's something that, that has been uh, a year after year after year. The on track handle has dropped as it and, and it makes sense. I, you know, we used to laugh at horse racing and, and thinking, you know, they, they've done everything in the last 25 years to make it easier to not come to the racetrack mm-hmm. to make a bet. And then they have conferences, and they all sit around and say, "Why doesn't anyone come to the racetrack anymore?" You know, it's kind of like uh, this this circular, you know, uh, thought process. But that's part of the reason why horse racing is where it is in a lot of ways, anyways. But um, yeah, there's not going to be. why, Why would I go and get out of my house and drive somewhere? when I can pull it up on my phone and and do it right there. Just like you said, there's no, it makes no no sense from a convenience standpoint for the consumer.
1: Yeah. And and, in New York is a good example of that. Um, There are casinos in New York, albeit, you know, Albany's connect, this rather upstate, uh, New Jersey's online sports betting business is powered by probably close to 20%, uh, emanating from, uh, downstate New York.
0: Right.
1: Um, So, um, no you know bettors don't want to travel you know they have to travel to go to new jersey to bet on their mobile device because there's no mobile betting in new york but the lure of the mobile device is so strong i mean you know daily fantasy sports is essentially uh, an internet-based you know form of skill-based gambling no one goes to a racetrack or casino to 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 you know kind of participate in, in one of these daily fantasy sports contests it's all online and sports betting is going to work the same way yeah i think there's some kind of an appeal to going to Las Vegas to, you know, take in the atmosphere around the first week of the NFL season and watch the games and the sports book, maybe a big boxing match, maybe the Super Bowl. The big events are are certainly going to create a a great social environment around the in-person experience. But for the other 358 days, it's going to be business as usual over mobile devices. And I think the worst part of this deal, besides the fact that it's a Trojan horse, where the paramutuals are going to end up with nothing is that this is also going to come at the cost of thousands of jobs that are going to be decoupled out of existence because all of these bills kind of go hand in hand. They don't exist in a vacuum. And one of the reasons I think there might be some support, at least within the highlight and the uh, standard bread community, at least from the operator perspective, is that they're shedding the obligation to have live racing, or live events as a condition of keeping their slot machine license, and if if these venues can decouple uh, the, the money losing aspects of their operations out of existence, I, I, I think I think they'll they'll be more you know it's a price they're willing to pay, even if it means having a smaller piece of the pie of sports betting. And this deal, if it gets approved, is going to legislate thousands of jobs out of existence, jobs in your industry.
0: Yep, no, no doubt about it. Well, listen, Daniel, I, I appreciate all the time you've given us and a very, very thorough explanation of the legalities uh, and um, you know how, how this thing might play out. Um, obviously, it, it's it hasn't been officially ratified, right? So. Right. Oh,
1: let me explain. There's a, you know, I'm I'm not trying to, you know, state have a marathon uh, podcast here, but real quickly, uh, the legislature legislature has a special session May 17th through 21st. That's when they'll consider,ifying the the compact, and then once it's ratified, and I expect it to be ratified. Uh, unless this podcast can reach the desks of every (laughs) lawmaker in the state of Florida. If it does, then then they have a chance of maybe uh, understanding what it is they're signing on to. But once it's ratified, then it gets presented to the United States Secretary of the Interior for potential approval. And she has 45 days under the federal statute to either approve it, disapprove it, or do nothing, and if she does nothing, then it's deemed to be approved by inaction. So assuming May 21st, everything's ratified, it's presented to the Department of the Interior May 22nd, that means that under the timeline that I'm thinking about, maybe uh, it becomes approvable, at least on the federal interior department level, second week of July, and at that point, You could see federal court litigation challenging its validity under IGRA, and you might also see a parallel lawsuit brought by the proponents of Amendment 3 uh, asserting that the parts of this that are outside the reservation violate the state constitutional ban against casino gambling. So you may see uh, not one, but two separate lawsuits occurring on parallel tracks in different courts.
0: Well, uh, if you'll have uh, a, you know, if you have a little bit of time for us when these, um, you know, looking down the timeline, maybe this when these things do happen, if you could join us and kind of give us an update, we, we'd be uh, really appreciative.
1: I'd be happy to do it. Um, you know, this is you know certainly a, the, the most important gaming issue in Florida in many, many years. I'm following it very closely and uh, definitely enjoyed appearing on, on your podcast. One of the best things about it is you let me talk uh, cool. and and you know just let me like elaborate on all these things, so uh, I appreciate it. You've been a just really good questioner and, and, and host of the podcast. So, count me in, deal me in anytime, I'll come back whenever you need.
0: Daniel, I appreciate all your time.
1: It's um, my pleasure, Charles. I, I, I wish,
0: to- honestly, I, I wish it was a, a more um, a topic that we could be a little more enthusiastic about from a hey we hope this happens deal as opposed to this looks like it's going to become a big disaster but uh, you know that's that's life right
1: Yeah, well, i mean there's nothing to be enthused about if you're in the horse racing industry because you're getting the short end of the stick economically and this deal may get blue penciled down to a point where there's no way to participate for the paramutuals and, and what i what i hope happens here is that the legislature uh, reevaluates how this comports with federal law, and I think it's okay to give the tribes, you know, whatever they want on tribal land. But I think for the paramutuals, this has to be uh, done through legislation that's independent of the compact. Otherwise, it has virtually no chance of surviving, and it will set the industry back and not only lead to the loss of jobs through decoupling, but probably the loss of jobs through the competitive disparity that will just grow exponentially if this deal is approved
0: yep no doubt about it uh again thank you daniel daniel wallace from the uh what, what's your, your firm uh wallace law?
1: Wallach legal uh which is country's first <laughs> i like to call it that the country's first sports betting focused law firm and and i represent you know i work with companies um, all throughout the country in, in, in looking at gaming issues, not just sports betting, but, you know, um, uh, paramutual, uh, you know, tribal gaming. Uh, I work with startup companies. I teach. Uh, I have a podcast. I'm the legal analyst for The Athletic, and I'm doing all this for my temporary residence in Siberia. And I want to clarify something. I don't work with any of the paramutual companies, but uh, as somebody who lives in South Florida and I and I see how the paramutual industry is really, you know, uh, you know suffering. To, you know, with the growth of online gambling, the pandemic, uh, the sort of the, the competitive you know, advantage that the tribe has, I, I think I think it's a battle for survival for the paramutuals, and this deal. Uh, Literally threatens the survival of these companies if they can't have access to spreading. And under my reading of federal law, uh, they have no right to it through a compact. It can only be done outside the compact. And if the state refuses to go down that route, uh, we might very well see a, a federal court opinion uh, later this year or next year, which um, will uh, take my prediction and make it a reality and and then there'll be some regret over you know maybe this wasn't such a good deal why did we vote for this how come our lawmakers allowed this to happen what i'm saying now is understand the implications of igra before you vote and appreciate the consequences of how this will play out and when it does play out when the dust settles what will the you know sports wagering framework mm-hmm. look like it will be a literal tribal monopoly. And the, and the paramutuals don't understand this. They've been sold a bill of goods. It's truly a Trojan horse. And every, every case, not even some cases or majority of cases, every case decided in federal court that's analyzed IGRA views it this way. Every case.
0: Yep. You've made a, made a very good case uh, for your case. So we'll, like I said, we'll see how it plays out. And, um, you know, we're, we're we're spectators for now. But uh, like I said, once things settle, you know, once all the, the dust settles from the the special session and potential lawsuits, we'll we'll have you back on and uh, get us up to date on everything. That's that's good.
1: Excellent. Looking forward to it. And uh, say hello to my friend Dennis Drazen in New Jersey. I know you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Uh I, I was a spectator in the courtroom when he fought the the battle to legalize sports betting in New Jersey I mean I, I was involved with this ish following this issue all the way going back to 2012- 2013 and I met Dennis uh, in in the federal courthouses in Trenton New Jersey and Philadelphia Pennsylvania and at the Supreme Court in Washington DC and he's he's like one of the one of the real real great great people in the gambling industry and is so passionate about horse racing I mean he, he really yeah, I'm you sorry. Know
0: what, you know what's interesting, Daniel, is that people forget now that he was his suit was considered a long shot. Like no one seemed to really think that this was going to happen. He and lost. you know, you had the leagues against you. You had everyone against you. And because I, I was, I, I was stable at Monmouth Park. I was a trainer, and I was mm-hmm. stable at Monmouth Park when this whole thing first got the, you know, he first got the ball rolling on it. And and like no one really, you know, like of course. Uh, on the horse racing side there, we were hoping um, because, you know, like New Jersey horse racing, gambling, that's got its own, uh, you know, issues that it's had between Atlantic Mm -hmm. city. And I mean, it's, you could do a show on that uh, alone, but uh, I mean, people (laughs) forget what Dennis did was essentially set the ball rolling for, for the entire country.
1: He's the architect of this, you know, governor Christie gets a lot of credit Ray Lesniak gets credit, but it was his legal theory. After the first uh, Third Circuit, you know, decision and Christie won, he came up with the idea to uh, uh, try it, a different path by repealing, by having the legislature repeal the sports betting prohibitions at casinos and racetracks, and it was that tweak that brought the case to the Supreme Court uh, in, in 2018. Dennis masterminded this whole thing, and not only was it a long shot, he lost that his side lost seven. Uh, Court rulings in a row, Uh, the district court in Trenton, third circuit in Philadelphia, Supreme Court denied cert, uh, motion to dismiss for all of it denied in Christie one. In Christie two, he lost at the third circuit twice. He lost at the Trenton district court once. Oh, and seven. You get sent down to the minor leagues when you have a (laughs) record like that. And I remember I was vacationing. I was at a gambling conference in St. Thomas. Uh, U.S. Virgin Islands and Dennis and I were speaking at the same conference and that's how I got to know him and we, we he, he loves the beach and we were the only he, Dennis his wife Nona and I were basically the only three people out on the beach at 8 a.m. every morning before the conference started and this was in 2015 when he was still in the midst of trying to fight that uphill battle and his wife Nona uh is, took me aside and said Daniel What do you think? Do you think he's just, you know, twisting at windmills here and he's just wasting his time because he's so devoted to this fight for sports betting that even even his wife was questioning whether, you know, he was going to win. But he never he never questioned it. And time and time again, he was ready. He was ready and and had the fortitude and had the commitment to see this thing all the way through but for his enthusiasm and his lawyering on this and his creative approach to to sports betting and having skin in the game, actually putting the muscle and the money behind the idea, there wouldn't be national sports betting today if it wasn't for the efforts of Dennis Drazen. So I call him, you know, sort of the hero, the the hero, the mastermind of, of expanded sports betting nationwide because he made it happen. He really did.
0: He sure did. All right, Daniel, thank you Uh, again. We'll, Thanks for all the time you've given us. And and, uh, like I said, we'll be in touch.
1: My my pleasure. And if you have a second, I want to ask you something uh, off the air as well. Uh, But I look forward to talking to you again on the air and off the air. This was enjoyable. Thank you again for having me. And uh, I look forward to the next time.
0: You got it. Thank you.